My name is Amber Carroll, and I am one of the pastors here at Hope Covenant Church. It is so good to be together today and to be in worship. Thank you so much for joining us, for uh, choosing to be here, to spend your morning with us. There is a lot of amazing work that is being done in our midst, and so it is good to be together today. One of my favorite aspects of Facebook is when I open it up and I see the time hop. How many of you guys like that? Or they say, memories to look back on today, and you can look back and see all of the things that have happened over the last several years. And it will show posts on your page, for those of you who don't know, um, for that day, that moment in time, for as long as it can access, access the photos. So on some days, it's loaded with great memories. Some days, it's just like pictures of food or reposts of silly cat videos. Um, for people like me, I'm really terrible at capturing memories. This is a wonderful tool. It helps you remember what you've done in your life. But, you know, it will only recall the photos that you have intentionally put there. So it could have been the greatest day in your life, but if you didn't post about it, it can't recall it for you. So I got to thinking about time and the importance of the intentionality of our time and of our days. And if we're not careful, life will just pass us by. Each year we're wishing that we had, it's one more year of, of the job we don't like, or one more year of, of getting in better shape or being healthier, or whatever it is. This morning, I want us to think about the time hop of your life. What kind of story are you telling? What memories will you have to look back on today? What moments are making up the time hop of your life. So I look back at today, the date July 15th, and the truth is I'm terrible with social media, just terrible with it, um, so there's not much that showed up there. However, I do use Google Photos, and if you have access to Google Photos or you use that, I could type in July 15th, and it pulls up all the photos since 2004 of uh, my life in t for t uh, on July 15th for that many years. Um, and so it was very interesting, the photos that popped up. It yielded a really cool story and a thread that I am really excited to share with you today. So I can search around on July 15th, and my daughter Amelia was born on July 11th. On July 15th, 2006, we brought her home from the hospital. And that was a big day for us. There's a picture of her in her little carry case and John recording Aiden's first interaction with her. That was an awesome day. Um, also, if you scroll through, you know, the next year, around July 15th, we have, like, her first birthday party, and I ran a half marathon. Some cool stuff I'm really proud of, events that make up kind of my story. And those are great. We have a lot of stories like that in our lives. But what I really want to focus on is something different today, a different time hop, a different story that is told through my life on July 15th. So... To kind of catch up to speed, today we're wrapping up our message series entitled The Hole in Our Gospel, and we've been looking at the ways that individually and as a church, we can fill the needs that are happening in our world and in our communities. And we've been, spend, we've been spending time encouraging you to ask yourself the question, what is my mission in this world? What am I uniquely created to do with my life? What's my purpose? And we shared that every human being was created in the image of God and worthy of God's love and God's grace 
And every person is gifted to fill a unique purpose in the world. We looked at the book, The Hole in Our Gospel, written by Richard Stearns, the president and CEO of World Vision. And and interesting enough, the July edition of Christianity Today announces Richard, Richard Stearns' retirement from World Vision. It's a beautiful article. If you don't get Christianity Today, you should read it. It's great. But Richard Stern set an example of a man who looked at the time hop of his life, and he felt God leading him to tell a different story. He was a wealthy executive in the corporate world, and he felt God call him to leave that life of expensive cars and big houses to fulfill this vision in World Vision. He grew the organization from a $350 million industry to a $1 billion over 20 years that he served there. Over 40,000 international staff served children in 100 countries. He just launched a five-year plan. Okay, he's just about to retire. Launches a five-year plan to make Rwanda the first developing nation with universal access to clean water. One man selling fine china decided to change the time hop of his life, and he is affecting millions upon millions for who knows how long his influence will last. His time hop is exceptional. He points humanity to see the hurt in the world. He sees the needs and challenges us to fill the holes. He challenges us to get outside of our comfort zones, lean into the great commandment, which is to love God, each other, and our neighbors, and also to go into all the world. Richard quotes this. He says, The beautiful simplicity of our faith is that it distills down to the exact same bottom line for both the brilliant theologian and the five-year-old child. Love God and love each other, period. And he modeled it in his life. He'll be known for many things, but I believe his time hop will be filled, be filled with moments that point people not to his successes, but point people to love. So what does your time hop show? You know, I wanted to share with you the really interesting thread, and I don't think this is a coincidence in my life. In 2003, I went on my first mission trip. I don't have a picture of that, but I went to inner city Philadelphia, where I, uh, I looked inside of the needs in the, the city there, and it was really heartbreaking. It was my first experience of having my heart broken for the things I believe that break the heart of God. But on July 15th, in Google Photos, in 2004, John and I, uh, I have a picture that notes our first trip, mission trip together. And um, this is in Freeport, Bahamas. And it was our first time that we went out and we served together. Uh, We restored a home and a community and just loved on some people there. And I was pregnant, so that was actually Aiden's first mission trip too. Awesome. Um, so I was pregnant with Aiden, Aiden there, and not shown um, on July 15th over the next several years. We would go and we'd serve in Ch- inner city Chicago and Atlanta and Key West and Orlando and going to see the needs out there that um, God might be calling us to, um, to live into. But in 2009, we went on our first mission trip to Jamaica. And that would begin a relationship with the people of Jamaica for five years. Over five years, we would go back and serve. But I wanted to point out and highlight, in 2011, we had an experience with an organization called Blessed Assurance. And Blessed Assurance is a ministry of the mustard seed community. Um, It is where they provide care and shelter for children with severe disabilities, as well as children living with HIV and AIDS. The community is dedicated for caring for the most 
vulnerable populations in society. And the backstory as to why this community started in the first place is really great. Um, there's a quote up there. Uh, Messenger Gregory founded the mission program, and his aim was clear. He said, given that the children are abandoned and have a variety of disabilities, feeling loved is especially critical to their well-being. Since he couldn't bring the children to the world, he decided to bring the love of the world to the children. I have some photos up there. The children of um, Blessed Assurance have kind of the, the trifecta of disadvantage. They, they live in a third world country. They're orphaned. And they have severe mental and physical handicaps. And so missionaries come in and they share love with these, these, um, these kids. And um, you can just see their hearts um, swell and they would uh, break for just how... Um, how much you want to help, but you're in a foreign country and you can't stay. And so then you, um, you, you come back and things just go back to normal. It's really easy for things to go back to normal. And we see photos and we think, oh, that happens over there. But that's not here. There's a great need to love other people over there. But then we started asking, what about people in our own backyards? John and I were like, you know, God's calling us to love our neighbors. How do we do that? How do we bring the, the ability to love people outside of our homes? How do we bring that back home? So this is really cool. In um, 2012, on July 15th, this picture popped up. John, you're not going to like it, but it's cute. It's kind of fuzzy. But that is our first uh, BMW week in Melbourne where we lived. That is, um, that's the shirts we had. That was called E3 Week, which has eventually changed the name. But it's basically the same thing. It was our local mission week. And it started on July 15th, 2012. We brought BMW to the community and uh, went out into our neighborhoods to love God and each other and our neighbors in extraordinary ways. So then, here we go. Time Hop 2016. July 15th. That is the photo that came in my Google Photos. That photo was taken um, on Sunday, July 10th. This congregation uh, voted for John and I to come in and lead this congregation to be your pastors. And we had something called Table for 12, and we met with people in small groups, and we said, where do you see God loving you? Where do you see the needs? Where is God leading us? And John and I left there. We took a picture that's so cool we captured that. And we were, okay, God, we know you are doing something big in this place. You're going to do something big in us and through us and around us. And we just fell in love with the people of Hope Covenant. And we just knew God was going to do something big in this community. And 2018, today, on July 15th, we are going to launch our first BMW. Right? I think that's pretty awesome. And to have over 100 people coming and loving and serving, I mean, hold on to your seats because God's doing something big here. This is exciting. Um, This week, we're going to make our city beautiful. We're going to bathe the streets in prayer. Um, We are going to thank and love our local businesses and our uh, the firefighters and the police station, those who are serving our community, churches. Um, We're going to spend time loving people who sometimes get lost in the shadows. 
the founder of the Mustard Seeds community, started an organization so that those kids wouldn't get lost in the shadows. Most movements are started because someone finds a need and their heart is broken and they fill the need with the gifts that they've been given to do it. So today, we are going to highlight Flint Hill Services, an organization that had a profound impact on Bryce Barkus and his family. The Barkus family joined Hope Covenant Church in 2017, shortly after the passing of his brother Justin. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Bryce serves as the head of our finance team, and he serves on our leadership team, and he models what it looks like, he and his family uh, model what it looks like to love and serve Jesus. And so today, we wanted to share with you Bryce's story of his brother Justin and his relationship with Flint, Flint Hill Services. So go ahead and watch this video now. Uh, my brother Justin was born on November 2nd, 1974. Um, he's 13 months older than me. Um, we were really close in age and really close as friends. Um, but obviously being that close in age, we were your typical boy brothers. But, you know, he was a normal kid. Um, very happy, loved to play with Hot Wheels and and uh, be outside and, and uh, was pretty content as a kid. Uh, there was one story he loved to, to share or when we would talk about it, he, it would make him laugh out loud. And uh, it's, it's when we were about three and four years old, um, we had a neighbor who had a big rabbit cage and that was, uh, had a pretty big gate to get in it. Um, I was small enough to fit in it. So he would get me talked into entering that rabbit cage and then he would lock the gate and then he would feed me grass through the side of the cage and uh, so we would do that and then there was this one time that he had me in there and then mom called us for lunch and he just left me you know gate locked and everything and he went in to eat and, and he just thought that was the funniest thing ever <laughs> so um, that was just kind of how he was as a kid and, you know Justin was pretty normal uh, in his young years as a little boy uh, and we started noticing some things about him, you know, when he was about seven. Um, you know, some, some accidents and things that happened that just didn't seem right. He was diagnosed with epilepsy at about age 10. Um, went through a series of neurologists and tests and, you know, experimental drugs and uh, ultimately had a split brain surgery at age 19 um, that caused him to have to relearn how to do everything again, to talk, walk, eat use the restroom, I mean, all of that. Um, you know, during that time period, you know, after his surgery, uh, he, he moved back and forth between my mom and dad uh, between states several times. Uh, each of them would, you know, take care of him until uh, they were exhausted, and then uh, they'd pass him back to the other one, and so mom and dad did as best they could. It, it ultimately, it, it came to a head where uh, mom uh, moved back to Kansas, uh, to be close so that we could all kind of team up and take care of Justin. And, uh, you know, she, she moved into El Dorado, and that's where we found Flint Hill Services. In 1998, when Justin was about 23 years old, uh, he made a very adult decision to move into Flint Hill Services care. You know, they would go to uh, different organizations and, and uh, you know, or different events. You know, so he'd go to concerts or he'd go to ball games or race, you know, car races and stuff and uh you know he he another story about him you know 
I've been a lifelong Chiefs fan, which I know John doesn't appreciate, but um, I, uh, I loved him from a very young age, and all through growing up, he, he would root for whoever was playing the Chiefs just to pick on me. Um, he didn't care at all about sports, but he would do that just because he knew it bothered me. And uh, Flint Hills took him to a Chiefs game. I could never get him to go, but they took him to a Chiefs game at Arrowhead Stadium, and that changed him. From that day on, he was a lifelong Chiefs fan. And so that gave us something to uh, talk about and enjoy. And uh, I'm pretty sure from this point on, anytime I watch a game, I'll think of him because uh, that's something we did a lot. During those first few years, he, sh he finally let his guard down emotionally and, and allowed himself to deal with uh, all the things that he knew he wasn't going to be able to do, you know, as far as like getting married and having kids and all those things. And... Uh, at that time, you know, I I was afraid to share what was going on in my life because I was able to do a lot of things. Um, so I held back a lot of what I was doing. I didn't share it with him. And there was a point in, in our relationship where um, he just asked me a pointed question about what we did. And then so I answered him honestly. And I just saw him light up. You know, his eyes, he was so excited and happy for me. And I saw for a moment that it, he was a little sad because he realized he wasn't going to get to do that, uh, but um, it changed our relationship. It, I, I realized that, you know, he got to live through me in Allison, and so um, I knew at that point that I had to start sharing, you know, what I was doing, and, uh, you know, we became so close and became best friends uh, during that time. Flint Health Services saved our family. Um, you know, they, they took the burden of 24-hour care from us so that we could live our lives and could share ours with, with Justin. Um, you know, I, I was able to share my faith with him, and through that, his faith grew as well, and I know I will see him again. And because of Flint Hills' services and the way that they love for everyone who comes through their doors and, and looks at them as a, as a person of worth and someone who deserves God's love is obviously the way Jesus looked at all of us and taught us all to model and uh, I'll be forever grateful. Thank you, Bryce, for sharing a little bit of your story. We are blessed for that. I am. Um, I want to call Kathy Walters up front. And um, oh, she's. <laughs> Kathy's the executive director of Flint Hills Services, and she had a, and I had a chance to visit this past week, and I got to hear all about Flint's, Flint Hills and her. Uh, her work that she is doing there. I'm going to get this going for you. Okay. Um, Kathy, would you tell us a little backstory on how and why Flint Hills was established? Sure. Well, first of all, I want to thank you so much for inviting us here today. This is just such a thrill for us to be able to come out in, into the community and be welcomed by uh, this church and all of you here. And I want to thank Bryce and his family. Where are you guys? I just saw you. Yeah, there you are right up here. Um, and thank you for 
reaching out to us and Amber for embracing us so much to be able to come. So a little bit about Flint Hills. I cannot follow that act, Bryce. You pretty much said it all, but Flint Hills um, really uh, started by a group of parents who had kids like Justin. And, you know, there was a time, and some of us can remember when, you know, you had a child with a disability and you were told to take that child and put that child in an institution and and uh, you'll never be able to raise that child, and, um, you know, that, that was it. And um, Amber mentioned living in the shadows. Um, that was really, in some ways, not everybody, but in some ways, society, the way they looked at people with disabilities or people that was different. Well, there was a group of parents here in Butler County that said, uh-uh, not my kids. Um, they wanted their kids to live a life. They wanted their kids to have opportunities to have friends, to uh, learn employment skills, to meet people, to be in the community, to go out to eat, to worship where they wanted. And so Flint Hills Services was created in 1994, and um, just a group of, of, of parents that really had this need. And it grew from there, and then the state uh, realized that there's a lot of families like this, and so they created the Home and Community-Based Waiver, which is how we are funded primarily, and so that's how Flint Hills really started. Um, when Bryce was talking about Justin in the video, I just, I just have to share um, a couple of things, if I may, about Justin. Is that okay? Um, Justin was hilarious. He, w he had the funniest sense of humor, and he was very ornery. And um, those of you, how many remember Justin? Several folks here lived with Justin for many years, so they know Justin. And um, there was a couple of things I really remember about Justin. Chiefs is obviously one of them. But Justin loved to socialize, and he loved music, and he loved to dance. And even though Justin declined physically every year um, and, and towards the end quite rapidly, he was able to, with assistance, stand up and dance at, at our, like our Halloween dance or our Valentine's dance. And Justin usually had a big smile on his face, but when he stood up and danced with assistants, he just, like his face almost cracked. He was <laughs> smiling so big. So um, that was so cool, and it was just fun, and he loved it, and he loved to tease the girls so that he was dancing with, and he was, he was ornery, but it was a lot of fun. Um, the other thing I want to share, and I, I don't know if you knew this, Bryce, but, um, well, the Barkas family has been extremely kind and generous to Flint Hills over the years. And after Justin passed, Bryce and his mom wanted a lot of Justin's things to go to his friends. And one of the things, um, Justin spent most of his adult life in a wheelchair, and his wheelchair was donated to Flint Hills. And Charles, over here, right here, the brother of our director, uh, Beverly, is using his wheelchair. And it's being adapted for him, for his special needs, but that has opened up the world for him. So. It's kind of cool how you just kind of circle through and, and the goodness continues. So thank you for that. And I think Justin would appreciate that too because Justin and Charles were roommates for many years. So, um, Kathy is remarkable. And uh, she's a woman of faith. And, and she is not only responsible for the oversight of Flint Hills services, strategic plan, budgeting, staffing, um, but you have a real passion for making sure that your residents feel um, 
valuable and, and, and worthy and have equal opportunities for love and a life, a full life. So um, tell us a little bit of the backstory of uh, the Rock and Rollers and, and how they came to be. Okay. Well, this is the Flint Hills Rock and Rollers, in case you don't know. And, um, yep, there they are. You're going to hear from them pretty soon. But So this, this story came, it has a, a backstory, as Amber said, so I'll try to tell it to you quickly. Um, several years ago, I was visiting an organization uh, similar to Flint Hills in rural Missouri. And it was an uh, organization that served people primarily in wheelchairs, um, extremely physically disabled and with intellectual disabilities. And this day program I went to um, had about 75 people in it. 90, 95% of them were in wheelchairs. And this activity director that was running this program had a shoestring budget. She had very little to work with, but she was so creative and she was so passionate. So a lot of what she would do to bring, um, to create activities, she'd bring stuff from home. And um, she would bring like anything she could find to use in her curriculum with her folks. And one of the things she did was she would bring her kids' music CDs to um, play during the day program to create an uplifting and stimulating environment for, for them. And one of the CDs was the soundtrack to the movie High School Musical. You guys remember High School Musical? We're all in this. You know, you come on, you remember it. Yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so she put that song on. And she kind of noticed that she looked around and all of a sudden half the, you know, all these people were moving to the music and they were singing the words. And she was, you know, just kind of amazed and being the spontaneous and creative activity director what she was, she said, aha, we have a singing group. So um, she was just so amazed because so many of these people had very limited verbal abilities, but um, singing comes from a different part of your brain than speaking. So sometimes even if you have limited verbal abilities, you can still sing. So she started this group, and they started singing, and they started practicing different songs, and they got pretty good. And she said, gosh, I want you guys to show our board of directors how great you are. So they performed at a board meeting, and the board members loved them, and several of them came up to them and said, oh my gosh, you've got to come sing at my Kiwanis group. You've got to come sing at my church. You've got to sing at Rotary. So they started getting gigs around town. And they got quite a bit of notoriety. And so they were just loving it. So they were going out and performing. And so there was, um, at one point, they got invited to um, go sing for a high school class, senior class of special ed students at their assembly. By this time, their repertoire had really grown, and they had added a lot of pop songs. And some of the songs that they added were like Michael Jackson songs and things like that. And there was one young man. Um, in a wheelchair, a young African-American man, very handsome, had a very good voice, and he was a soloist. He sang some of the Michael Jackson solos. So they sang for this group, this high school group, high school seniors, and they loved him. And so about a week later, the young man who sang the solo and his, a couple of his friends were out at a restaurant, and they were, they were just out eating. And one of the young ladies from the high school class was also at the restaurant. And she saw him across the restaurant and she walked up to him, and she said, I remember you. And he just looked at her, and he says, you do? And she says, yeah, you came and you sang at my high school, and I know who you are. And he just looked at her, and she said, you're Michael Jackson. 
And he looked at her and he said, yes, I am. <laughs> so when this guy was telling me this story, I was so inspired. This gift of music had taken this young man from somebody who had, was born with disability and who lived kind of in the shadows at times to a celebrity, or at least in her mind, it was a celebrity, and he had this young girl coming up to him, and she was like a groupie. And his self-esteem and his self-image and his self-worth was just transformed by that gift. So I was just blown away by this story, and I, I remember this young man. I hope he's still singing because he was wonderful. Anyway, I came back to Flint Hills, and I, Beverly McWilliams, our, board our former board member and volunteer music instructor, she was on our board at the time, and after the next board meeting, I said, Beverly, we've got to start a music group, and I told her this story, and she said, okay. She didn't even hesitate. Beverly taught music for many years and had just retired, and so her retirement was pretty short-lived because of me. So we started uh, the Flint Hills Rock and Rollers, and so Bev brought some music the next week, some CDs, and we put the CDs on, and we went around and asked everybody, hey, you guys want to be part of our music group? And a few said, yeah, but most said, no. So we're like, okay, not to be deterred. So put the music on, had a few people singing, and then here, pretty soon, here they come. Here's the music. Okay, what do we, you know. So now we've got this wonderful group of rock and rollers. They've been singing for about five years together. They have sung all over the area. They've um, sung the national anthem at the opening day of the Shrine Circus for the last four years. They've sung um, at various churches, civic groups. They've sung um, at Kiwanis and Rotary, and they've sung at the Sedgwick County Courthouse, the Butler County Courthouse. And we're just so thrilled to be here today. So thank you very much for having us. Well, one thing, yes, thank you. When Kathy and I met together as probably a little longer than we had planned because we just enjoyed our visit so much, I noticed something change in her when she started talking about the rock and rollers. I mean, she, we had talked about Flint Hills and what we were going to do this week. We're going to go and, and serve over there and love and learn. But um, when she started talking about the rock and rollers, like her eye, her whole, like she just kind of lit up. And I said, you know, you're, you don't have to come to another church on Sundays. You don't have to be outside of business hours with, with your residents and your staff. And she said, I wouldn't miss it for the world. And you can see her like living into her calling in her vocation. You don't have to, you know, quit your job and go in the mission field. Like you are on mission everywhere you go and you're living that. And thank you so much for being here. Um, we are going to have the Flint Hill Rock and Rollers come forward and, and um, lead us in a couple songs. So while they're going to get up here and get settled, we are going to use this time to collect our morning offering, our connect cards. And so I'm going to go over here. But I wanted to read a scripture while, that is, while that's happening. Um, it's uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. And uh, it, it reads this. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. I hope you know and I hope you realize that the same God working in you is the same God working in, in our friends up front, 
that we together with our combined gifts have the ability to change lives and change the world. And so this morning, as we receive our offerings and we put our connect cards in there, let us pray for you and with you. And um, we'll do that. We're going to collect that here just now. So if we could uh, pray and then we'll pass our baskets. God, we thank you for this day, and we thank you for the opportunity to uh, be in worship with uh, so many different people. Thank you for the, um, the staff and the residents of Flint Hill Services. I thank you for our Hope Kids leaders who are living into what you're, you've called them to do and love our kids. I thank you for all of the missionaries, our Butler Mission Week, who are going to be sent out into our community I just thank you, God, for the resources and the ability to do that. And God, I thank you for the generosity of this congregation and the people in this room. None of this is possible without you, and it's all for you, for your glory, for your kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. And so as we give back just a small portion of what you have so generously gifted us, we, we, just, we recognize today that it is all yours. We love you, we worship you. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.